The Batteries Included podcast is brought to you with United Chargers. United Chargers presents the Grizzly range of EV chargers. There's the original Grizzly Classic, a powerful, heavy-duty, portable EV charging station built to withstand the toughest conditions. The Grizzly Duo, a dual-port unit designed to charge two vehicles at the same time. The Grizzly Mini, a small, portable charging station built with an indoor-outdoor rated cast aluminium enclosure. And the Grizzly Smart, a revolutionary smart EV charger. All Grizzly chargers come with a convenient 24-foot cable and the ability to adjust the current from 16 amps all the way up to 40 amps. That's 9.6 kilowatts, plus they're IP67 rated. Built in Canada with the highest quality materials, order yours now at unitedchargers.com. That's unitedchargers.com. Hello, and welcome to the Batteries Included podcast. It's October the 13th, 2023, and this is episode number six. Thank you very much for joining us. On today's show, we'll be talking about the Kia EV3 and EV4 just revealed at Kia EV Day, along with the EV5, the debut of BMW iX2, the premiere of the Mercedes-Benz Trucks e-Actros 600 with LFP batteries, and of course, much, much more. I'm Dominic Yoni, host of the YouTube channel Drive Electric with Dominic. Joining us today is the rakish Mr. Tom Malogny, senior editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. We also have the magnetic Mr. Martin Lee from the EV News Daily podcast, which is available on all the best podcast platforms. And of course, Kyle, Kyle Connor joins us from the majestic practically palatial halls of Spec studios where he produces high voltage videos for a number of youtube channels so hey there everybody good to see How's you going, all guys what? Wait, before we keep going and you, you called uh -huh. me rakish rakish oh yeah D did you look up the definition of that well yeah martin could you could you pull up a <laughs> definition of rakish i'm not sure it's exactly what dom believes it is Oh, right, let me see. A rakish man, especially <laughs> a rich like man, me. lives in an immoral way, especially having sex with a lot of women. Whoa. Okay. What are you Whoa. trying to start trouble with me and Meredith? Holy what? Well, apparently, apparently I do not know what rakish means. <laughs> not at all. But I have, I've had in my head for like many, many years, like more than 40 decades, 40 years. Okay. Um, yeah, I think like, like slim, stylish, you know. We need to fact like a, check Dom's adjectives, oh guys, moving forward. I generally do this. Oh, <laughs> okay, I, 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 re, I take that back. You are not that. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we can move on, I guess. <laughs> okay. Oh, what a for a loop there. Hey, Martin, I guess your studio attacked you just before we went live on the air. That's why we were a little bit late coming on because, uh, yeah, sorry about as that. you can see, that you have got a bright light. And you're in England. You have bright lights in England? I didn't even know. I have a, I have this big window in the side of my office that I normally have covered in sound panels, and one of them made a bid for freedom thirty seconds before we went live, uh, and hit and hit me on the head, and uh, and now I don't I I'll just leave it like that. So we have day, we do have daylight in England. It doesn't right. happen very it's often. Not raining today, apparently. No, not well, no. It has. It's rained. It's rained all morning. I got drenched this morning on my bike. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. So let's kick it over to you, Martin. Actually, for the EV News Daily Weekly Reporting Roundup. Take it away. Let's start with news of the Tesla Cybertruck going under the hammer at the Peterson Museum, fetching $400,000. The trouble is that not actually making the Cybertruck yet for people to drive away. So really, you are bidding on a build slot. But either way, these charity auctions have a way of making 
lots of money on new vehicles. Seen it many times before. Volkswagen is gearing up to unveil an electric version of their legendary transporter van, part of their deal with Ford marking a departure. This transporter won't borrow its roots from the California, instead founded on a fresh platform conceived with Ford that underpins the e-transit as well. But it'd be VW's take on the transporter. The United Auto Workers Union halted a walkout at GM's Arlington, Texas facility following GM's agreement to a key request to include battery workers in any future EV plant in the nationwide union agreement. Lucid Air Sapphire EVs are now getting customer deliveries as of last weekend. It's got 1, 2, 3, 4 horsepower, like that, and does 0 to 60 miles an hour in 1.89 seconds, outgunning the Model S Plaid. The US Army has initiated a new program to get prototypes on the road for their EV reconnaissance vehicle. To prepare for that, they've procured some to evaluate the, a Hummer EV, a platform from Canoe, and a Lordstown. Maybe go back and buy some different ones, Army. The French are opening up their EV subsidies for next year. Uh, the specifications are now out, and automakers can go online to sign up for that. The new subsidy criteria, however, will probably sideline several Chinese models. The MG does well in Europe. Tesla make, of course, a lot of cars in China, and those cars will probably be really harshly affected by the new rules to get a subsidy in France. Tesla's Model Y is nearing the best-selling EV status. A Clean Technica report uh, points out that they think Model Y is now at 2.16 million behind Model 3, 2.2 million sales overall. That's not bad, actually, in just a couple of years, three years, Model Y has been around. It'll probably, the, the tipping point, as it were, will happen sometime this quarter, and Model Y will be officially best ever, ever best-selling electric vehicle. Ford offering more incentives on their F-150 Lightning. Different specs get different discounts, but for top specs, another $7,500 on top of the federal tax credit. That's 15 grand off an F-150. Volkswagen unveiling the new ID4, ID5 with a bigger battery and also a better motor on that as well. Bigger screen inside, new software, new menus, the ID4 Pro and ID5 Pro uh, get that 210 kilowatt electric motor. Also, Skoda doing the same with the ENIAC and dropping the IV bit of the name, I think. So the ENIAC 80 is now called the ENIAC 85. The all-wheel drive goes from the 80X to the 85X. Otherwise, the upgrades in terms of the faster charging speed, 175 kilowatt peak charge rate on the big battery for the ENIAC mirrors, what they're doing with the Volkswagen ID4, ID5 back at the parent company. China's new energy vehicle sales hit a big record in September, surpassing their previous high. Looks like we're on target for 10 million EVs in China this year. That's crazy, right? That includes plug-in hybrids as well, though. That's not bad. Most of those, though, of that 10 million will be pure BEVs. Tesla is marking a notable achievement. 20 million of their own cells made. The 4680 cells, the 20 millionth we think was made at Giga Texas. Then he made the 10 millionth in June earlier this year. That ramp is happening really quickly. It needs to if they're going to scale Cybertruck. Cadillac is coming back to Europe with digital sales. Go back a few years and there was loads of Cadillac dealers around, but they didn't sell any cars. Now, GM could push perhaps the Lyric. It's going to start in Switzerland and then go to five more European countries, which they haven't confirmed yet, but they'll all be digital online sales for the Caddy brand to come back here, which we don't have. Renault's EV unit, Ampere, 
will be split off and a part of an IPO. It'll become its own entity on November the 1st. Uh, the CEO, Luca De Mayo, wants it to be worth 10 billion euros. The BMW iX2 powertrain is derived from the iX1, so 64.8 kilowatt hour battery, 313 horsepower of those uh, two motors, one on each axle. We'll talk about more about the iX2 hopefully on the podcast today. Stellantis unveiling plans to establish a second EV battery plant next to their first one in Kokomo, Indiana. Both the establishments collaborating with South Korean's Samsung SDI. Kia revealed three new EVs. Well, maybe four, actually. Uh, the small to medium SUV range crossover. I'm never sure what to call these small cars that try and make themselves look bigger than they are. There's the three, the four, and the five. The three and the five are SUV shapes, c- compact. And the four is a sedan saloon, all part of Kia's move to hit a million EVs a year by 2026. EV5 will launch in South Korea and China, and they say other global markets, but they won't say where it is. The Chinese cars, LFP batteries, South Korean cars, NCM batteries. The EV2 was mentioned by the CEO as a compact, cheap European city car as key to their future. And finally, Tesla's V4 superchargers rolling out. We've seen them in Oregon, Nevada, Alabama. The last week's been fantastic. Uh, Various states are now getting the V4s. And I did check the Tesla Motors Club forums. And yes, somebody uploaded a picture to the TMC forums to show that these have the small screens, the card readers as well, like the ones we have in the UK. So the European ones, I don't think they all have them. You still use the app. We have a law here that you haven't got to be part of a club or sign up to charge your car like you wouldn't if you were filling petrol or diesel. And so it looks like the US ones are the same as we have on the V4s. So rock on up, tap your card, your watch, your your, your phone, and you can pay for your fuel and go without being part of a club or an app and all that kind of stuff. Not that the Tesla app is particularly onerous to use, but that's great to see. And that is your update. Let us know what you thought about all the stories you talked about in the comments below. Many we'll discuss on the podcast today. And, of course, leave a raving review for our new musical signature. <laughs> I love Holy it, smokes. <laughs> so this is like a surprise to all of us like martin did, thank you did that little jingle thing as far as i know because that was the first time i heard it and it was like oh yeah right and it was awesome <laughs> great well, well if I you remember got... last week i told him he needed a jingle that's right to, as an intro so he he took me seriously good good on good on martin good work absolutely absolutely and it, I, i'll make that available maybe as a standalone youtube video for people who want to have that on repeat. I mean, I can play it again if you like. Bam! Wow. That might be a good ringtone for my phone. I mean, <laughs> I like to both in my old radio career, I did go to Abbey Road a few times to record sessions. I've been around the world's top producers. I know quality when I hear it. I think you'll agree. It's the greatest jingle in the history of mankind ever. That's pretty. Actually, did you write that? It's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, can I get can I get PRS on that? Can I get some royalty payments? All right, absolutely, it's the best. So, Daniel says great. you're getting big time. We'll never be big time, Daniel. I mean, you, <laughs> we never will. But hey, I'm Look glad this. you. I'm glad you like it. All right. Uh, so that was great. I love the stories, and we'll dig into more of those in a bit. Uh, but, Tom's but, getting right to business. Yeah. Well, I, we're ten I, minutes I, in. We haven't even talked about anything. Yeah, well, let's talk about something, Kyle. Um, 
I understand that you got an exciting new toy. It doesn't have any wheels, but it puts out like 322 horsepower worth of power or 240 kilowatts. So what's going on? Yes. Um, yeah. Were you not here when it got here? You you had already left not. by then. I so Dominic, I, I think almost more interestingly, Dominic just drove his Tesla across the country and back. So I really want to talk about your experience with your car and using the supercharger network and what you saw and what you did and what videos are to come, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I got a DC fast charger. Autel sent it. It's, I think the first ever review high power DC charger to have ever existed. It's, um, you know, like we get review cars. They sent us a review charger. The only problem is I don't know how the heck they're going to come pick this thing up when I'm done with it. I don't <laughs> think they want to pick it up. So it might just be ours. Um, but you know, that's not like a sponsored thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, if they gave us a charger, which is cool, but if it breaks, I'm the first one to show you there. And we're going to go through the whole, uh, process of how it, how basically we have to fix it. It'll be pretty cool diving into new territory for us. And, um, you know, 240 kilowatt charger is no joke. This thing's going to pull a lot of power and yep. thankfully we're putting it where we have a lot of power, but we also need to be really mindful about when we pull that much power because Holy smokes, we could have like a $40,000 charging session if we get it wrong. So we need to make sure, <laughs> make sure everything's okay here. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be cheap to install it. And that's, that's going to be a whole process. We're going to show essentially, I want to show everything that goes into DC fast charging testing uh, and also installation and running and backend management and utility grid interaction. And basically this is the unit we're going to do it with. And since we posted this video a couple days ago, we already have other charging companies who are like, we'll send you our units. So we wow. might, I don't know, but it's you should start uh, a new, like, you should start a new network. Let's, let's try Colorado. Yeah, no, <laughs> not, not our business. Um, but it, but it, I just kind of wanted to play around with the units. We of course need a DC charger to charge up all the cars we have. This will sure. be the fastest charger in our city, um, uh, which is a pretty large city here in Northern Colorado. And so, yeah, very much excited to, to get it wired up and to play around with it and go through the commissioning process and the setup and um, and all the interoperability, of course. So it should be pretty freaking cool. You know what? It would be interesting, actually, if the city gave you a lot, like loaned you a lot to put all these different chargers on. You could have this like really kind of weird charging station for Fort Collins, like a publicly accessible eventually. Uh, yeah, well, like we wouldn't weird, we, weirdness units. Um, yeah, so we have that idea. It's already in progress, mm -hmm. but that's a completely separate project. City of Fort Collins wasn't so interested in working with us, but we want to do it anyway. Um, right. So yeah, we're we're working on something like that. But we got to start small before we go bigger. I want to understand DC charging. I want to use it. I want to pay the electric bill and understand how much we screwed ourselves. You know, by plugging a Hummer EV on three o'clock on a Wednesday. And mm -hmm. how much electricity we need to sell at less expensive rates to make up for that peak charge. So these are all the things I want to learn and to um, start understanding. So super excited about it. The video did okay, uh, considering it was a charger that wasn't even plugged in. We just unboxed a box, basically. And uh, people seem to be interested. I'm obviously was shaking with excitement. So this is just next level epic. So that's awesome. Tom. Kyle, you, when you're talking about the pricing... How, how, like, uh, obviously it's going to be separate metered, but um, I know you're in the facility that you're in has a lot of power coming in. And it depends on how that's, uh, how the power's distributed, how they'll, how they'll dice up the demand chargers. Are you going to be on your own, like, 
your your own account with its own demand charges and all that? Or will you be like, you know, parsed? Because I know sometimes big facilities like this have blocks of their of their facility that share like a common account and that helps them with their uh, demand charges. How is this? How's that going to work for you? Do you oh, know yet? Actually, yeah, we don't know yet. So what I want is my own meter. That was the whole idea. And so we are going to sub meter within the building for sure, but we probably can't bill on that sub meter. So what we're going to have to do is everything in the building is completely monitored and tracked. And so we're just going to take note of our load and demand profile, and then everyone will divvy up everything. It's going to be pretty complicated. We have to have a lot of meetings with yeah. the building and to figure out how we're going to do this. Also, we've reached out to the utility in the city to be like, hey, can you help us figure this out? Because, um, again, this is a world that I'm not so familiar with, but we yeah. want to learn everything. And, yeah, to your point, Tom, I think, uh, you know, how do we fairly uh, compensate for our influence on the the demand charge peak is going to be interesting. Now, I'm also not so concerned about trying to have our own meter for review purposes because every city has a different demand charge structure. Yeah. Um, but I do just want to run, you know, make sure we're paying our fair share to the school that they're not having a burden for us installing the charger there, basically. Okay. Well, I mean, I think the easiest way to do it was for every month you pay the school, the demand charge is equal to 240 kilowatts. Because that's what you're going to be boosting their demand charge every month. Because you're going to hit that peak every month. You know, even if the first time you plug it in with a with a 800 volt architecture or vehicle, you know, you're going to hit that. So you, whatever it is, let's say it's you know five dollars a, a a kilowatt hour demand charge. Like every month, just cut them a check for a thousand bucks. You know, and yeah. and 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 that's that's the easiest way to do it, in my opinion. I, I could be wrong, but you know, you're gonna. When there's multiple charges, it's more difficult When as you get more because now you can't just multiply it times five charges times 240 because you might not have them all pulling 240 at once. You never will, so or rarely. So with one, it's easy because you know it's going to pull the maximum. But once you get that second one, now this month, did you have one run running at full and the other one running at half or did it three quarters or did you never use two at once? That's what you're going to have to figure out. Well, we'll always pull full power out of this thing. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I mean, yeah, we have enough 800 volt cars. At a one, yeah. but it's difficult once you start. You said you might get another yeah, one yeah. and another one. That's when it's going to get very difficult for you to know at any given point what was the most you pulled. Because well, you yeah, just have to pull it be, for a second and you get yeah, hit but, with the demand charge. Um, everything will be completely tracked. So we will make sure that, you know, they, they have, I mean, it's a nerd facility for nerds like us. So they, they track and store their energy usage every one second and it's stored, you know, forever basically. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, so basically the way Fort Collins works is depending on winter or summer, we have a different demand charge rate and demand charge for the viewers who don't know, I know, you know, this Tom is billed by the load on the grid by kilowatt. So our kilowatt hour rate, like what we would pay at home, is only four cents per kilowatt hour, roughly. It's wow. dirt cheap. I mean, wow. we can just charge everything for free. Um, but what the load is what matters in a, a commercial facility. And so they charge $15 per kilowatt in our city. So it's going to be a $3,600 a month, roughly. If I charge a Hummer EV for one second, that's a $3,600 charging session. Mm -hmm. And then everything after that, it just gets cheaper because I've already hit the peak. And now we're just, you know, paying that four cents per kilowatt hour uh, as we go forwards. 
Yeah, and and to, and to add, somebody just brought up about the point of having battery buffers, and that's why some sites do this with battery buffers. For the people that don't understand, um, let's say Kyle puts in four of these, um, and and p potentially he could pay four times that thirty seven hundred every month. If if at any given time all four chargers are delivering their power, the maximum power for one second, boom, he gets hit with a thirteen thousand dollar bill for that one month, which you'll never recover selling electricity. To people and that's what makes demand uh ev high-speed ev charging so difficult as a business case so why do people put in these big battery buffers so what they'll do is they'll put in a big battery pack and they'll set the limit that the four chargers can deliver at any one time let's say combine the most that they'll let it deliver is 300 kilowatt and and the battery will be on those rare times when all the chargers are delivering more than that they'll be pulling some of the power from the battery and they'll limit the grid pull to 300 kilowatt so they could never pay more than that for a demand charge. And that's why we talk about having battery buffers as energy storage on site. It's not necessarily that the utility can't deliver that much power. It's, it's to offset these onerous demand chargers that make it nearly impossible to ever make money selling electricity. I used to have a little 24 kilowatt DC fast charger at my restaurant, tiny little thing, right? Sometimes my um, uh, demand charges for that one stupid unit was like a thousand dollars a month. And I was, I was pulling in like $150 a month selling electricity. And then I had to pay a thousand dollar demand charge. So it makes it impossible to ever profit, you know, and, I get frustrated sometimes when people are so critical of, of DC fast charge operators and we need to be because they, they need to get better reliability and everything, but it's not like they're making hand and money over fist here and just taking advantage of you and not, not fixing the stuff. I mean, it's gotta work. Don't get me wrong, but they're not running to the bank and, you know, buying corporate jets off the profits and screwing us by not fixing them. They're losing money. Yeah, until they do automaker partnerships, and that's where they make their money. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, you're totally right. So, um, that's basically why we got this unit. We want to know the numbers, at least where it's. We we can't calculate the numbers everywhere in the country. All we can say is, hey, we're going to put this unit here. Here's how much it's going to cost us to install it. Here's the permitting process. Here's the installation process. It's going to be way faster and way more simple than installing a DC charger in the back of a parking lot because we already have power where we're putting the charger that's like 90 percent of the battle of most charging network operators is getting the power to the place you need it and that's why we chose to put the charger here at the powerhouse uh you know colorado state university powerhouse uh, which houses the energy institute which is where we're moving back into we had our office here for a long time then we left because we thought we were getting another building. Now we're going back um, because we couldn't put a garage door in the old building. So now, now we're we're back here and they have high power. So it's like a perfect solution. And everything about this building is focused on high power, hydrogen, electric, diesel, natural gas. It's all focused on commercial scale energy applications and large trucks. So it's perfect environment for it. Um, and we are going to film everything. There's not going to be one thing that happens with this charger that's not part of the series. And we're just, I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to do this. Um, you know, those those chargers aren't cheap. They're, you know, I don't know how, like I said in the video, I don't know how much this charger is, but 100, 150 grand wouldn't surprise me, something like that. So for them just to drop it off and say, hold on to it, make some videos and we'll take it back eventually is awesome. It's still going to cost us a ton of money to do this. 
because right. it's going to be ridiculously expensive to run the unit, ridiculously expensive to put the unit in. But now the cost of entry is significantly less. And um, yeah, it should be really cool uh, to monitor all of this. But for sure, I'm peaking this thing at 240 kilowatts. I'm not going to let that get in the way. I want full <laughs> power all the time, baby. Who can use it? Um, we don't actually know at the moment. So there's going to be an initial temporary install just behind me in this video for our uh, viewers. Eventually, we're going to move this unit. And maybe if other companies decide to send us units as well, like they said they were going to, we're going to put them all in the front parking lot, basically right in the city, right in downtown Fort Collins and charge money for electricity. And I want to make, I want to do like a simulated business case. I, there's no way I will ever make money. I don't want to make money from this, especially from a charger someone gave to us for a review. But right. I think it would be cool to charge, you know, 30 cents a kilowatt hour, something reasonable to try and offset some of the costs and to show that to our viewers to say like, okay, here's what it would have cost if we charged 50 cents per kilowatt hour or 10 cents per kilowatt hour and, uh, you know, play around with a whole bunch of pricing things. But that's going to be six months, a year, year and a half into the future before we can make it public. For at least the meantime, it's going to be just for us to use some friends when they come and visit and whatnot, um, you know, because where we're actually putting it is that's not really my choice. It's just there's no public parking available where this is. So it's not something I can just say to the viewers, hey, go and plug in and try it out because I'm working on it with the school. I'm trying to get it approved for a public access so we can sell it back there. But it's right. also not like where you want to sit and charge in the back of a building. Like there's nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, you could come visit us, but like there's restaurants are in the area, but it's a five minute walk to the closest restaurant. It's not the perfect location for a charging hub. Yeah. And would the school use it to learn from and to teach their uh, students about the process and things like that as well? Um, they haven't explicitly shared interest on that topic, but I know a lot of the students, I know most of the professors as well. And so, um, you know, it's, a, it's a topic that will come up, uh, ultimately, uh, no, they haven't shared their interest in that yet, but that's, if they want to, yeah. we can. That's fascinating. There was a report this week, I think coming out of, uh, Cox automotive that, or, or maybe it was an Edmunds report that said, uh, projecting to 2030, the U S is going to be short of 140,000 engineers certified on DC high voltage. And, um, you know, all of the things that go around with the high, high voltage AC as well and, and car charging. So, you know, if, if anyone's going to look to make a career change and obviously people retire from that profession and then apprentices come in, but even then the U S will be 140,000 engineers short of what's needed. When you look at it was, it was looking at the amount of solar installations, home battery, DC fast charging for EVs. And it's like, this is a really big problem on the horizon that we never talk about. Um, yeah. a gr great career choice for anyone who's got kids that don't know what to do with their life. Just electrical go engineer. And learn, <laughs> go and learn how to fix these high voltage uh, architectures and you'll never be short of work. Well, and maybe I can float an idea by the audience at least. One of the ideas we have is this is this charger, this whole installation is a precursor to what I eventually want to build here in town, which is going to be a multi-charger park like Dominic had mentioned. Uh, but I don't necessarily want it just to charge EVs. I want it for multiple reasons. A, we have no charging in our city and we have no real charging on the horizon coming other than uh, an announced Tesla supercharging station coming to Fort Collins. Very excited mm -hmm. about that. Um, and it should be, I think, a V4 with Magic Dock, but nice. um, we'll talk about that later on. The um, 
the, the, the other things I want to do is I want to use it for interoperability testing. So what multiple units there. So manufacturers who do high altitude testing in our area can bring their vehicles by and test on a bunch of chargers, save them some time. We could get some prototype spotting videos in. I'm sure they would hate that. Be awesome. hilarious. And um, the other thing would be to train uh, high voltage, uh, you know, different topics to local community college, Colorado State University, et cetera. And there's actually some educational grants that we could go for uh, for this charging site if we were to pursue this and make it happen. But essentially, I would want to showcase, okay, here's like the five different ways to back up the site. Here's the five different ways we could wire it. So each charger would like be its own bespoke setup in terms of above ground, underground, you know, pentagraph charging. I don't know. We could go crazy. But um, yeah, I think we're starting small. Well, let's, let us get comfortable with one unit. Let's soak this in over the next six months or one year, really understand how this works before we make any big decisions like that. Awesome. I love it. I guess I'm going to have to come back and get charged up. Uh, it, your car will not charge on this be unless you get the CCS retrofit. Right. I need to get that CCS retrofit. That's on my list of things to get. Yes. A, and you could do it yourself. Do do a DIY. Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty, oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I haven't done it to my three yet. I need to, obviously, with this charger now. But we're going to eventually have its dual CCS at the moment. They're 300 amp REMA cables air cooled that can boost to 400. And they're like, you can pretty much just run it flat out. So I want to look at that D rating profile and understand how that works. Um, mm -hmm. eventually I'd like to get a charger that can give us everything for charge testing. This isn't right. going to be a great charger for the high power charge testing stuff. Uh, just because it can't output 500, 600, 700 amps that many EVs need these days. Um, however, we are going to put a NAX cable on it as soon as possible. So it's going to be one CCS, one NAX, and that'll be a whole video on how to swap a cable and how much does it cost to buy the cable and wow, how much does lot. it cost to install it. So yeah, cables are way more expensive than people think. So yeah, I, no, I, they are no joke. I, I just want to hopefully, you know, I want to understand DC charging more because we're extremely critical of it. So I'm like, Hey, mm -hmm. we can't just be critical all the time and not feel the pain ourselves. So I want to, on a very small scale, start to understand what charge point operators are going through, through this one unit and hopefully more in the future and then B, share those costs of running and costs of service and costs of upgrades with our audience. And um, and, the, and then as a byproduct, we can charge our cars for our range tests and some for charging tests and have a cool unit to play around with in the meantime. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, definitely. It'd be cool to have, you know, your own like self-assigned, you could like in, in your park have like the, the 500 kilowatt charger sitting there for like, like the testing you reserved uh pylons in front of it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we could we could do anything and i don't know we, we all the customization and setup options are funny too of like how we can put it when we permanently install it um and then even down to like what screensaver should we pick have been some of the conversations uh as the background on the screen so yeah we've well, got a lot it, to look at that's true it's funny that fort collins doesn't have a whole lot of public charging considering there are a lot of electric vehicles in fort collins uh but i guess a lot of people living there, there's not a whole lot in the way of like apartment buildings and condos. There's, there's a lot of single family homes, basically. Is that and most apartment buildings have charging here. There's a lot of apartments. You don't really notice them. They're like kind of hidden behind trees and stuff. And we're starting to see downtown get built up. But we do need inner city charging. It's a real right. lack 
of it, especially when people come here to visit. We're a pretty big tourist city. And so sure. people get up here. We're like, I'm in the third largest city in Colorado. I, I'll just charge up when I'm there. Meanwhile, they're sitting at a 50 kilowatt EV go station that has five Leafs in front of it parked waiting to charge. It's just not a good situation. Five Leafs. All right. Hey, we should move along a little bit. Uh, Tom, uh, this week I understand that you uh, got to spend some time with your friend and longtime podcast viewer, Mr. Pete Bermey, and talk about his 2019 Tesla Model 3 after four years and 100,000 miles. So I hope people will take the time to watch this video. But uh, are there any standout things like with the positive and negatives that you want to highlight? So, yeah, you know, first of all, Pete's in the comment stream today. He's he's a longtime uh, follower of our podcast here. He actually um, actually a longtime listener of uh, Martin's EV News Daily uh, show and Kyle. So uh, he's been following all of us for for a while. Sorry um, to hear that, Pete. I mean, someone's yeah. got to. Yeah, he was. He actually mentioned something that it's been hard for him to recently get find your uh, the EV News Daily. Maybe it hasn't been um, notifying him recently. He asked Martin about that. How come I don't get the notifications anymore? So, but um, I got it fixed. Sorry, Pete. Yeah. In 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 any event, so yeah, Pete Pete has a 2019 uh, dual motor long range Model Three, and just turned 100,000 miles. So drives a lot. Drives 25,000 miles a year which is much more than the average uh, American, you know? And, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so uh, I thought after a hundred thousand miles, it'd be a good time to pull them on state of charge and just ask him some questions about it. Like, you know, how much did it cost you to charge? And Pete keeps records on everything. So he knows wow. exactly what it cost him to charge between at home and DC fast charging. Um, and uh, basically his overall uh, opinions, you know, Pete, Pete's a, uh, an old rock and roll guy. He plays for the, uh, he's actually the bassist for the 60s rock band Vanilla Fudge. And they still tour. They're yep. still out there touring around the fudge. And um, so, uh, you know, he, 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 he's an old uh, muscle car guy and loves cars. This was his first electric car. So I said, it'd be cool to interview him and see, you know, after driving in 100,000 miles, what do you think about this electric stuff? You know, is it, is it have you had a good experience with it what about charging how about how much does it cost you maintenance he has all his maintenance records i listed everything um and as you would expect uh pete absolutely is totally converted you know would would, would you know would won't ever buy a gas car again uh it cost him thirty seven hundred dollars uh thirty six to thirty seven hundred dollars to charge for a hundred thousand miles his total refueling thirty seven hundred dollars his maintenance was right around the same, I think $3,600 total maintenance. And that was for two sets of tires, a wheel alignment. He put in a new 12-volt battery and then wiper blades and washer fluid. And he did have to replace his windshield, which broke on one of his, he, he drove it to Florida and he got a crack, which, you know, kind of is, that could happen to any car. But um, it was an expense, so we added it. And uh, look at that, 100,000 miles total cost to to maintenance is 3700 add the fuel in you know 30 3700 you're talking a little over seven thousand dollars for for a hundred thousand miles all in maintenance and fuel that's crazy you know and and on top of it it's a fantastic vehicle so uh you know pete pete uh pretty much said he loved everything about it he found a, a little a, a few niggles that he didn't like you know he's not really thrilled with the nav system he wishes it had a grab bar which i always said when i had mine because my dad always had trouble getting into it when you lean in there was nothing to grab on and, and hold yourself up and uh you know he talked about phantom braking a little bit and things like that but uh, overall 
Uh, totally thrilled with it. Uh, won't won't go back to gas. Would he buy no. another one? As in, is he going to keep this for, and, and run it and run it and run it? Or is he going to trade or what? I think he's going to keep it. That's the plan because we talked about doing a 200,000-mile uh, <laughs> wrap-up. And here, here's the thing. His battery, We one of the reasons why I also wanted to talk about this, so many people worry about, oh, I don't want to get an EV because I'm going to have to replace a battery in like four or five years. So this is four years in, 100,000 miles. His battery is still at like 93% of its original capacity. Wow. You know, he has Tesla Fly and Recurrent. And plus, um, as a follow-up to this, I did a 70-mile-an-hour highway range test with it. That video is not published yet. It's coming up tomorrow on my channel. So I took it right after we did this interview, charged it to 100%, hopped down on the turnpike, same course that I do all my cars. Now, I did a 70-mile-an-hour range test with my 2019. I also had a 2019 dual-motor long range, like Pete's. But mine had the 18-inch wheels. He has the 19-inch wheels. And I range tested mine after I owned it for a year. And I think it had like 16 or 17,000 miles on it. It went 289 miles. But then when I got my 2021, if you remember, I got a 2021 with the refresh. I did it as soon as I got it. And that went 310 miles. God, yeah, 310. So, right. um, but Pete has the 19 inch wheels, which are going to shave a few miles off, off of it. So um, I was shocked at how well it did after 100,000 miles. So that, that video is going to be up on State of Charge tomorrow. Um, absolutely. You know, if, 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 if you watch that, if you have any concerns about buying an EV, about its battery life, and you watch the, the, the range test I did, you're, 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 that your concerns are just going to go away. Because, you know, without telling you the final results, it did amazingly well for an EV with 100,000 miles. Awesome. So, sounds like a great, uh, great time, and I don't even know what to say. Mike, I see uh, Mike. I see this Mike. comment here. Mark, Mike Sharp has a dual motor three with three hundred eighty thousand miles. Hey, Mike, could I could I do a seventy mile an hour range test with your car? I'll fly out to where you are, wherever you are, and do that. <laughs> that would wow. be a good. That would be a good range test. What's that website that tracks high mileage Teslas? I forget now. I've, I've been on there before, and there are some crazy high mile Teslas, and they're they're all still fine. I mean, the graph is going it's going down. The battery deg is yeah. down, but you, once you lose that all in that initial phase, it's pretty flat. Yeah. Hey, you weren't driving anything this week, new were you, Martin? Did oh no, you, absolutely did, no. I did mean, you get I, chances? I, barely been out of my house hence working from home and it's one of the things that uh you know working from home is the dream uh, of course but uh, you got to make an effort to go and you know do things and book things in and get out because otherwise you sort of four walls and working and and all that kind of stuff so no i'd absolutely like to be cracking on with uh you know with with more stuff and and looking at a bit more travel next year so a couple of things in the u.s that i really want to come out to and um and and hey we're gonna do this show live in person at some point haven't we we keep saying That's right it. That's right. Oh, we keep saying it. You got to get you on this side of the pond. Well, I like to get out of these four walls too. And so, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went decided to go on a road trip. Well, I think I decided a, a few weeks before that. But I've been, mm. you know, playing with this idea. I just really wanted to get on the road. Ever since I bought my car in in the first part of the year, February March, I drove it down from Illinois. It was like a great little road trip, and it was like I've just been itching to get back out there again. And so I did. And uh, I went to Fort Collins and let me just pull this up. This is kind of what I did. This is using the Tesafly app, which is like a, I think you get like a free five day trial and every uh, month after that, it's like five bucks and you can get all this extra data from your, from your Tesla. And this is just like a heat map of the trip. So I went 
west from Tallahassee to, to New Orleans, then on to Austin, and up to Amarillo, and up through Trinidad into a uh, little clipped off a bit of uh, New Mexico, up through Trinidad, to Colorado, then you know all the way up to... I wanted to go on the interior mountains a bit, but there's a big stretch there. I wasn't confident that I could get there without like dropping my speed way down to like below 50 miles an hour. So yeah, I didn't, I just didn't want to take the chance this trip, maybe next time. Um, yeah, I want to, yeah, there's some nice vistas, but well, that road's really nice the, too. Um, there were two things against you on that stretch. One, one of the superchargers was down for maintenance and B, um, if you had the CCS retrofit, there's plenty of chargers there, but you okay. don't have the CCS capability yet. Right. Right. Yeah. And there was like no hotel to stay at with overnight charging up at like partway. And then with the time that I had to, I'd, I'd spent an extra night in Austin kind of hoping to see the super, the uh, Gigafactory there, the Tesla mm. Gigafactory and shoot some interesting video. It is not, it's not possible to shoot interesting video from <laughs> the Gigafactory <laughs> I've learned. Um, yeah, you can drive by it and you kind of see it. And I've got a video of all that stuff and I might put it together, I guess, but it's kind of, not that interesting, really. We did kind of drive up on the property, but I didn't want to drive and deal with the guards and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't know. What was the one, Kyle, you drove past? Was it the GM factory instead outside the fence one time? I watched that video. Yeah, we did the oh. same thing for the Austin Gigafactory, too. We just drove right up. We were in the employee parking lot. We were watching them come off the line uh, at the end, charging them up on the supercharger. It was pretty interesting being there. <laughs> but like, we just looked like we were meant to be there. You know, we rolled up in a Tesla. We're like, yeah, this is nothing to see here and you know, <laughs> just drive fast and look straight right. <laughs> then then you blend in yeah I, and i've considered all that it was just and I, maybe i should have but i'm a bit yeah i need to be uh young and fearless i guess or something but uh yeah so 12 days 3800 miles uh i averaged two, 296 watt hours per mile which i thought you know it's did i put that back up uh, no, I did. I was watch watching it. Sorry, I'm curious. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, 297, which is, you know, it's the, it's really kind of weird how that, because I'm watching the uh, my efficiency during different times, and it just really varies, and it's really hard to tell why. Like like leaving, Col leaving Colorado, coming down across Kansas, uh, and actually Kansas is at a really high elevation. Like the, the western part of it, I had no idea. You don't really come down until you're like halfway across Kansas, and but uh, yeah, so we were, we weren't going up, and uh, the wind was from like southwest, so, so there was a bit of a crosswind. But my efficiency was like 300, and I managed to get down to 337 or 334, something like that. After like almost the whole 200 miles of charge or whatever it was, it was really hard to. I had to. I think I was driving at the speed limit too, right at seventy at seventy five seventy five miles an hour out west. As Kyle has mentioned many times, speed limits are seventy five miles an hour, which kind of is like making me think about our decision to go with a seventy mile an hour range test now, which I, th I think is still maybe the right decision. But man, out west there's everything seventy five miles an hour. Yeah, Ooh. but keep in mind the range tests are not meant to be uh, any bit of user related data. This is not a real world. This is what you'll experience in your car. It's just a way for us to benchmark the cars side by side. I think people drive 80 miles an hour most of the time or more. I always just set to whatever the max autopilot lets me go and in kilometers, which is 87, um, allegedly. But uh, especially out in Utah when the speed limit's 85. 
But the thing is, um, when we do our 10% challenges, we do a more user replicated 80 mile an hour speed. And right. that's also regional. Depends where you live. Like here where I live, you can't drive 80 miles an hour. First of all, speed limit 65. And people drive faster than this. The flow of traffic's above the, the speed limit, but it's not 80. And that's why when I did my range test with the Lyric that I wanted to compare the 70 miles an hour to 80, I had to do it after midnight because it was the only time I could maintain 80 miles an hour on the highway without getting clog clogged up with cars. So um, it really depends where you live. Sure, out in the Midwest and where you were driving, Dom, the speed limit's higher, the roads are open, people are just blasting away. So it's hard to say we should raise it to this or we should r lower it to that because it's 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 different across the country. So what some people say, it's gotta be 80 miles an hour, that's unrealistic. The other person's saying, I can never drive 80 miles an hour. Why is he trying to tell us to do it at 80? So what, Kyle said make is why we do it at 70 just so it's fair to all the cars and we know we can average 70 miles an hour almost wherever we go so without having right. to stop and redo the test and everything right yeah so it was a pretty interesting trip uh learned a, lot, a little bit about FSD and had just have like you know just various things like some things are super annoying some things are, are fine uh one thing I really and just said that I really don't like is like if so on on your screen you have the your percentage of your battery health or percentage of how much of energy is in your battery and you press that and it gives you a rated miles of how far you can go it's just like so unrealistic I'm a, like my car is rated for 291 miles when it's full of 100 100 I'm not charged I'm not going anywhere near that <laughs> if you drove on, 45 miles an hour you would Right, right. But if I'm going like on the highway, like on the road trip, right. and I'm lucky, like 200 miles, I don't know. It was well. That's I mean, why I, Trip I'll, Planner tries to tell you arrival state of charge with reasonable estimates. But right. although that can be buggy, especially in recent software, that's gotten really bad. At least on my cars, I don't know if you noticed arrival state of charge prediction getting all wonky. Yeah, I had a few of those situations, like in in Texas, which you know, and it led me to understand that there's, especially in Texas and some places, there's still not even enough superchargers yet, because it was kind of, you know, it was a little touch and go. I had to drive below the speed limit for like a long time. There was no alternative, you know. You're out in the middle of nowhere because the car had said, "Oh, you're going to arrive with 18 percent," and all of a sudden it's looking like three percent. Yeah. And that's yeah, a recent it. software thing that messed. It used to be better. You know, Pete actually right. complained to me off camera. He didn't talk about this on camera, actually, about how he goes, I can't rely on it anymore. It used to be rock solid. Right. But now it's telling me if you slow down, you'll you'll arrive with 5% state of charge. Then he slows down. And then it says, if you speed up, you'll arrive at 10% state of charge. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? It's, it, it, it's schizophrenic. Right. I mean, yeah. there has there was a pretty big update, I think, when I was... Uh, where was that? I think it happened at your place. It updated, right? All the cars. Uh, yeah, it went to all the cars, but I don't think that affected Trip Planner at all. Do you? Do you? Did you notice it being better on the way back? No. no okay. And, yeah, and my problem was on the way there as too. So yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's been like almost a year because okay. I remember Race to Vegas with Colton in the Model S. Like it kept screwing. It showed you know twelve percent arrival. Then he had to go under the speed limit to pull in at zero, and right. so it was really screwing it. And I think my theory is tesla is trying to calculate wind now which is relatively new and they're putting too much of an emphasis on wind and so if you have a tailwind it's getting you to unplug earlier than you should um and and maybe the tailwind dies out by the time you're 200 miles uh, into your stretch and then you're screwed so yeah this is the only thing i can think of because their elevation calculations have been perfect since 2013 
2013 or whenever. And uh, traffic has been wonderful. It was just when they added the wind variable and really put a lot of emphasis on it. And it's sometimes optimistic and then sometimes the opposite. Sometimes it's like, oh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it plug in at 30%. And it's like, okay, I just do mental math now when I drive them. I always have anyway, because trip planners always been erring on the side of caution for the most part. So I've always just been, okay, I'll just do it myself and pull in at one or 2%, but um, plus keeps the trip interesting, gives you something to think about to do some math. I guess. Um, yeah. So in total, I, I burned uh, 938.56 kilowatt hours of electricity. Uh, total charge time was nine hours and 27 minutes. And that was another interesting thing, how much time you have to add to you know estimate of, of a day. You know, it's like, it looks like an eight hour day. It's like at least 10 hours, probably more. But, okay, hold on. I have your car in my app. Okay. And I get the notifications when you plug in uh, for right. the trip. And uh-huh. you were unplugging at like 95% state of charge. What were you doing? You were deep charging that thing. I was, I was eating. Um, sometimes I was, uh, you know, wandering through the mall. A lot of times the end of the charge, car charges like before, you know, and it, I'm just going to let it keep charging. Why not? Because then I'll have enough to maybe change my my trajectory a little bit um yeah but overall my average time per charge was 19 minutes so, that, so that's a pretty people talk about how oh i'm going to be stuck at the super char- or the charger for like an hour 19 minutes average and those were including it's like some super long sessions there like you say it went up to 90 and some you know where i just couldn't get back to the car in time for whatever reason you know it's like the other end of a shopping mall for you know getting doing stuff you know, eating, sitting down, eat or, or whatever, you know? So yeah, it was a, and, oh yeah. And the cost to drive 3,800 miles, it's the best part, $374 and 43 cents, which the Teslify actually gave me a, a different number. I'm not sure if it's hooked into what Tesla is charging or what, but I went to my credit card statement and, and use that figure from there because I, that's what I'm actually going to pay. Right. That also factors some free AC charging. Right. Yep. Right. I, a couple of hotels and in your place, I think I got some AC. It's on the heat map. There's like just, uh, yeah, there's just like two. two but I how does that compare to a gas car? Um, I mean. So, so like if you had an equivalently efficient, this is one. I actually want to do a video on this. If we had, we have a Prius on test coming up. I'm going to well, take a Prius and a Model 3 and do a road trip. I, I think. I think the Prius is going to be cheaper. Um, I think you need to use a car that has similar performance to the Model 3. Yeah, we're like, using an LFP Model 3. Right. I mean, but so, so is the Prius, is it the new Prius? Because that's pretty yeah, quick. Actually. Brand new. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the brand new. The, in that market, like almost performance doesn't even really matter. LFP Model 3 isn't like spicy fast. It's just acceptable performance. I would say the same with the new Prius. And okay. yeah. John John Tech uh, John Check asks, "How many Teslas can you put on one app? How many you have a whole ton of them on your app?" Yeah, I don't think there's a limit. There's a limit to when you can stop scrolling left and right, and then they just give you like a product switcher tab, and then you have a list. And Alahum asks, "Did I uh, plug at zero percent or not yet? Not yet. I don't think. I think I got a two percent of possibly a one percent, and some three percent's in there." But uh, I don't think I got a zero yet. No. Um, what was it? There was a. Did I enjoy Bucky's? I did enjoy Bucky's. I stopped at at least one. 
uh yeah it's always a good time at bucky's i got some uh some snacks some treats for my my grandniece i need to give her some pop candies i don't know uh anyway yeah 374 dollars. i think uh, a regular it's going to be at least i think it's going to be at least double for a regular car depending on well maybe not not a prius but if your car is like 25 miles a gallon or so i think it's going to be like half the cost but I, yeah, but, yeah it'll make a cool um, video maybe we should get multiple cars maybe we should do like uh, a hybrid a gas car a plug-in hybrid and an electric car and do a you know trip to vegas and back or something yeah a diesel van a diesel van <laughs> yeah i got one of those yeah. right in front of my window over here oh, yeah? <laughs> it costs a lot of money to run oh yeah. right 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 that diesel yeah. van. i was thinking like ford f or e250 e oh yeah well i mean that would be similar efficiency in the sprinter right right i just comes that's what i drove for many years for anyway so kia just held its first ev day outlining its uh, electric ambitions leading up to 2030 so basically it says it aims to build 1 million evs a year by 2026 building to 1.6 million a year by 2030 <laughs> and to well, help in that, that to help in that effort i wonder if i could take it i'm not sure how you take that off stop screen Oop, there um, <laughs> so right so to help in that effort it's going to introduce a number of new models and so four of these new models will be the ev2 ev3 ev4 ev5 ev2 is going to be a subcompact unlikely to land on our shores there's not really any info about about that one yet except that it's not likely to land on our shores um but we're we're probably quite likely to get to ev3 and ev4 possibly even the ev5 which so far is headed like just for south korea and more importantly china where they're going to build it in china as well as south korea and it was initially revealed at the chengdu motor show in august the ev5 it seems right size for the us though and uh, the uh, co-ceo sung song uh, initially said that it would be exported here but then at this like at the EV day this week, but Kia then walked that statement back, and now it's they're saying it will it will come to North America from 2025. So it's unclear if that means the U.S. or maybe just Canada and Mexico. But in any case, we will likely get the EV3 and EV4, which were uh, revealed at the event in concept form. So they're an interesting pair of cars. The EV4 looks like a smaller, sportier EV6. While the EV3 looks like an adorable pint-sized version of the three-row EV9 that uh, U.S. customers actually will be able to pre-order next week. Uh, we don't get any technical details on EV4 or 3 at this point, but uh, Kia does indicate that the EV3 starts at will start at $35,000. So, Tom, there's not a whole lot of stakes to chew on here, but we know Kia has pretty good EV tech at least coming from the Hyundai Motor Group, of course, and the eGMP platforms. Um, so yeah. That's so, what uh, yeah, there's, as you said, there's not a lot to chew on. It's interesting that there was miscommunication at the press event where the CEO right. actually said, oh yeah, you're getting this. And then like an hour later, they were like, no, 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 no. You're, it, 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 it's going to come to North America in 2025 onward. And the interesting thing is if they, in my opinion, if they were certain it was going to come to the U.S., they would say, oh, you'll be getting it in 2025 and on. But the fact that they were specifying North America, that still that means that they're still not sure that they're ever going to import this here. And and they definitely 
um, said, you know, part of the reason why this they're unsure about this is because of the new inflation in inflation reduction act tax credits and yeah. how, you know, this, they, uh, the uh, foreign automakers are not happy about this, that a lot of their vehicles won't qualify for the tax credit. So, um, that, you know, we might see more of this where manufacturers just say, you know, we're not going to even bother bringing it over there. If you, if you, if you're, if you're not going to give us any, any type of incentive, you don't get it. And, um, that, that, that could be the uh, result of this. And that's, not necessarily um, different from what the lawmakers that uh, initiated this wanted. You know, they wanted to incentivize locally built and 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 sourced uh, vehicles, and it's it seems like that's the fruit of their work is starting to happen now. And and we're going to have automakers say, yeah, we're just not going to bring it to you anymore. We're not going to give you that vehicle. We don't care if you want it or not. It's not worth it. It's not going to be competitive if we don't get any kind of incentives and we're competing against vehicles that do. But I like the styling. I think Kia and Hyundai, we've said this on the podcast many times, Kia and Hyundai seem to be on the cutting edge of this electric vehicle transition. Um, they seem to be all in both brands on becoming fully electric um, uh, brands in, 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 in short order. And look at this family of vehicles that they're putting out. They all seem uh, like they're going to be really nice vehicles. And it's a shame the EV5, I think, would do really well here. It seems like it's just the right size and what the U.S. market asks for. But, um, you know, it's it seems like that's not going to happen. Does that look even like, is it like Model Y size or Kia Nero? Yeah, probably Nero Model Y size, bigger than a Nero would be my guess. Okay, it would be like ID4, Model Y, Mach-E, right in that category. I think right. I read a similar size to, do you have the Sorento where yes. you are? Yeah. So we similar do. size to that, right? So I don't okay, know what, mid -size, what, that, then. what that equates to. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-size, I think. Hmm. Interesting. You, you guys have the Soul EV over there in England still, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Second generation of that. Yeah. Very cool. First one had Chatamo, didn't it? On the Soul. And, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, we still we still have that very underrated uh because of how practical that thing is. And um uh yeah, great little vehicle. And what I was interested to see is I I, I guess you know, could we talk about the EGMP platform and vehicle to load and all that kind of stuff and eight hundred volt architecture, mm -hmm. though it's actually a lot less volt in the EV5. Yeah. And it's a 400 volt architecture, which is fine uh, because but it's 27 minutes to 80%, but they gave the 30 to 80% figure, which no one ever gives unless you're trying to fudge the numbers. So what? It's not, I know they're like 30 to 80 in 27 minutes. Like no oh, one, no, no one gives that. 70 to 80 at this point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so like, give me 10, give me 10 to 80. I'm interested. And um, so, which is fine. Nothing wrong with 400 volt architecture. Nothing wrong with 350 in it. And we see it can charge very quickly, but yeah, charge speeds will be a lot lower on these to save money. And I guess I'd always just expected everything they do to come with a higher voltage platforms from here on in. Whereas they said, no, the two, three, four, five, lower voltage platforms saving money we'll still do vehicle to home we'll still you know you can still get the special wall box from whoever that is that uh they they, they showed off with the the ev9 launch that will you know flick like the like the the ford system does and um this will come with all of that which is all very cool but you thought is that a step backwards well no because it's not necessarily better to have high voltage it's better in many ways I was like, oh, well, you know, if the price is really, if it's reasonable, if you're like, well, am I going to spend 25 grand on this combustion car or this EV? And they're able to get that price point because it's a lower, you know, they've saved some money, no silicon carbide bits, then okay, I kind of get it. But I'm interested to see 
how that plays out. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see in many automakers over the course, at least at least the next decade, will have a blend of both both voltages on their vehicles, depending on what suits that particular vehicle. I talked to Porsche about this extensively, but this was albeit about two years ago. And they said, you know, we will have a 400 volt architecture on on products in the future. You know, we, we don't need to have that on all of our vehicles. Now, whether or not that comes to fruition or not, but this was Porsche's like um, battery engineer that I was talking to. He said there there'll be instances where four 400 volt architecture will just work and and it will it'll work just fine for us and we'll use it in that case. So you know, it, it depends on the individual vehicle and the individual needs of that vehicle. And I think we'll we'll see automakers like this have a portfolio of both 400 volt and higher voltage vehicles for, for the foreseeable future. It's, it's interesting too, the 800 volts. Kyle, did you know about this? So I'm, I was looking at the, uh, the, the paperwork that automaker sent to the EPA for certification and like the EV6 on the EGMP platform, they put it at 697 volts, which is, you know, a little That's ways away from- That's only for the lower battery pack. The smaller battery is like mid 600 volts nominal. Uh, okay. And then the big battery is a little bit more than that. Uh, and full charge is up to 800, but it's still like 720 nominal for the big battery, somewhere around there. Oh, um, I see. Right. There's yeah, two there's, like I think a lot of our viewers maybe get confused. It's not like an EV is 400 or 800. Mm -hmm. It's the 400 volt class or the 800 volt class. But then you have a weird oddball, which is the small EGMP packs that are 600 and middle 600 volt class. Like an EV can be any voltage range, and it changes based off your state of charge or regen or acceleration. It's not just a set voltage, more or less. Just to clear it up for some people who don't right, right. know that. That's, that's, that's always changing. Voltage is always changing. There's no, it's not, it's very squishy number, really. I was just surprised it squished that much. So, but I'm looking at, so I got 697 for one, and then I've got 523 for the other. Okay. So there could be both uh, the, the small and the big battery then just at low state of charge. I'm just checking it out here. So I'm, I'm multiplying the um, voltage by the amp hours. You just have to use the nominal voltage. Right. 77.5. So they're saying this is the nominal voltage, 697, because it's a 77 kilowatt hour usable pack, right? Yeah. That makes sense so, then. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, and they do the, they do it from 697 volts. Yeah. 697 at right around mid charge sounds totally reasonable. As you go up to 100, it will, of course, drastically so, increase. So you think 800 volts is at 100% instead of charge, basically? Yeah, I'm trying to think if EGMB even ever hits 800 volts. It might be like 780 top 100%. So I don't oh. remember offhand. We have the charging logs somewhere. But yeah, they're they're low 600 dead, mid to high 700 full. Sorry to get all nerdy like that. But just, it's yeah, voltage is one of those things that's just, you know, it's hard to pin down sometimes. And you wonder why different manufacturers put use different numbers sometimes like GM for instance uses a, like a low voltage for some of its models on these uh, EPA certification applications uh, anyway but moving along this want to talk about something else then it is what are we doing yes uh, so BMW has introduced its second generation of the X2 subcompact crossover along with uh, a nice version the automaker has uh, right the introduced its 
all electric flavor to this X2 lineup. So say hello to the iX2, but uh, say hello, but don't get too excited because unless you're in Europe, uh, you're probably not going to see it. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, it sits on the FAAR platform, FAR platform, which is a derivative of the UKL platform, which it shares with the BMW iX1. It also appears to share the powertrain with the iX1, as uh, Martin mentioned in his EV, Day, EV News Daily Weekly Roundup earlier. Um, it's got a, a dual-motor iX2 xDrive 30, which will be the first trim level to ship in March of next year. It has 316 horsepower, uh, 364 pound-feet of torque, and it's like a 5.6 second 0 to 62, or 100 kilometers an hour. Battery is a uh, 64.8 kilowatt hour usable, same as the iX1. Actually, the, the new iX1 was just revealed, I believe, in September or something. Not, not too long ago, actually. They've changed it a little bit. The, uh, the, the original one was really kind of, uh, I don't know, stayed, very traditional SUV state shape. So it's, it's it looks a bit nicer now. This iX2 has got a completely different kind of styling. It's definitely more, like, more coupish in the back, as you can see. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure much more to say about this. This is coming to your side of the pond, Martin. Probably too small for your growing family, but uh, what do you think its prospects are over there? No, I, I like what BMW are doing with their lineup and uh, just expanding it in all areas. So I wasn't expecting this car. This, if, it's, if there were spy shots or whatever, it had passed me by. So very pleasantly surprised when, it, when I saw this come across my desk. Uh, un unsurprising they're using the same as the I ix1 with that 64.8 kilowatt hour um, battery and you know single motor i don't need all-wheel drive so single motor on the rear axle surely uh then if they can get i don't think around... it is on the rear axle or yeah, no, least... they, if you get, i think i haven't even seen the rear. i think i've just seen like the dual motor setups i didn't oh, see okay. it. Maybe, well, maybe it's coming but um it's built on the same platform as the Countryman electric oh, and so this that's one right. front wheel drive, but maybe so, they yeah. are putting it on the correct side for BMW. That would be like a knock. That would be really funny. <laughs> I really would. Yeah. But you know, it, give me that version and, and give me a number that starts with 300 for WLTP range. This is going to be absolutely perfect. So right. yes, yeah, love this. Unfortunately, this one's 279 WLTP with a dual motor setup, but maybe yeah, with so, the, like, so like I say, 49, kilometers wltp right here oh yeah we're looking at the combustion one. Oh, hell's bells what about no, oh, no, 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 no we're not no we're not i'm sorry it says ix2 cool. so it yeah. shows 449 kilometers wltp maximum on aero wheels so yeah i mean give me 300 miles on a, on a single motor version and that is all the bmw that i need you're absolutely right um fantastic love that they're expanding i didn't know this was the countryman platform so yeah let's see how those two come you know come around because this looks to me you know, more premium and all those kind of things. But uh, but I know you're a huge mini fan, so we can fight about that one. I, yeah. I think I would take a Volvo C40 over this. It's about the same size, bigger battery, fa faster. Um, charging isn't quite as good as what BMW is saying. Although I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that because BMW, I think in their charging, the only part that I saw was charged to 80% in 29 minutes. But they didn't list the starting point. But it's so, 130 kilowatt peak, and it's a pretty flat-ish right. curve because it'll be the same as iX1. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it didn't. They didn't mention the starting port. They just said charge to eighty percent in twenty nine minutes. So right. um, we have to see what they what they meant by by that. Don't, it would be so good if these all the automakers just made a standardized. Everybody give us the same twenty to eighty, ten to eighty, third, whatever it is. You know, but just everybody throw out the same number. But they're all playing games with thirty to percent. Ford, even with the F one fifty, did fifteen to eighty percent. Like you know. Give us a set number so we can compare side by side. But um, you know the uh, the the I I, I like the uh, C the Volvo C40, which is like that sport back version, very similar to this, same in size. I might take I'd probably take that over this. Look at that yeah. chunky steering. That's a real chunky boy. That, that steering is, wheel. That's true. Look at that. I, I mean, wow. I think EX30 might be close to this too in size, wouldn't it be? No, the uh, X30 is going smaller. to be smaller than smaller? this. Even yeah. smaller? Okay. Yeah, the X30 is pretty small. That might be like right. the IX1, right? But you I, know, I more, feel like more. this is small too. Like It's, it's the same uh, wheelbase as the IX1. It'll be right? smaller than the IX1. It's the Coupified IX1. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, right. So the mystery to me uh, on this vehicle is why is it so heavy? It's like 4,617 pounds. It's like more than a Model Y. And it's definitely smaller than a Model Y. Is like the, is the heaviest Model Y is like forty five hundred pounds. Way smaller than a Y, I think. Yeah, so it's like a hundred pounds more than like, or not quite hundred pounds more than the heaviest Model Y. But is that? And it's just not because it's got the uh, the battery isn't is it air cooled. I saw something that was. No, it's not. It'll look, Martin's giving me the funny face. The IX one originally had an air cooled battery, did not. I I not in the current that. generation. No. Okay. So that would be a huge surprise uh, right. for them to, uh, right. to take away battery condition. No, everyone's moving towards preconditioning. Yeah, yeah, and the Mini has all the active thermal management, so it's not like they'd put it in the Mini and not the BMW. It's yeah. got to be the same system. I never okay. heard. I, I saw I saw that on a on a site last night. I didn't. I would put it in my my write up because I they couldn't verify it anywhere with BMW. So yeah, uh, I wanted to just bring that because for some reason though. In my mind, That'd I'm thinking like the IX1 was that way. I don't know why. There's something about the IX, IX1 that really bugged me. And I think it wasn't just the styling. I thought it was something else. Oh, I think it looks good. They're all over Munich now. People love them. They charge pretty well. Um, the sixth bought like a buttload of them. So now when you go get a rental car out of the Munich airport, IX1's like the default choice. And uh, yeah, I think everyone seems to be, they're okay. I mean, not a huge charging peak, but a pretty good curve. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any major issues with them all the reviewers i know seem to really like it here's okay. a youtube channel called swede 365 and uh, he's made a short video of how he preconditions his ix1 um looks pretty pretty easy on the uh, on the screen there so yeah. yeah that's yeah yeah okay um i guess let's uh move on then i don't know yeah perfect all right so uh mercedes-benz trucks has just celebrated the world premiere of a, of a new battery electric long-haul truck. It calls the E-Actros 600. Um, so if you look at his name, 600, it offers 621 kilowatt hours of battery. It's actually three packs of 207 kilowatt hours under LFP, which is kind of interesting too, I think. Uh, it's engineered to keep... 80% uh, or more of capacity in that battery after 1.2 million kilometers or 10 in 10 years. So that's 745,645 miles. It's a lot of miles to keep up to 80% uh, or more. So that's interesting, especially with the LFP chemistry. 
Uh, it's got 800 volt electric axle with two motors and a four speed transmission, which is also kind of interesting approach, uh, specifically for use in heavy duty long haul transport. Uh, electric motors generate a continuous output of 400 kilowatts, as well as a peak output of 600 kilowatts. Range is said to be 500 kilometers, which is 311 miles. So uh, with its ability to charge pretty quickly, they say that it can travel significantly more than 1,000 kilometers a day or 620 miles. CCS charging goes up to 400 kilowatts, but the, uh, the truck will eventually be able to, uh, they'll also enable megawatt charging on this. 20 to 80%, they say, in about 30 minutes at a suitable charging station with an output of around one megawatt. So once they have the, the megawatt charging, you know, adapted in there, they can do it in just under 30 minutes, which is great. It's got five levels of regen, including a one drive, one pedal drive mode, which is, you know, kind of interesting to see in a big truck. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure. Production is planned for the end of 2024. They say the the truck can be more profitable than a diesel long haul truck within the average vehicle holding period of about five years or after 600,000 kilometers, despite a purchase price, they say that is around two to two and a half times higher than the diesel uh, diesel equivalent. That's got to be the key, hasn't it? Actually, that's the, the whole point of this vehicle is that a fleet manager looks at the bottom, the number in the bottom right hand side of the spreadsheet and says, oh, I'm going to run this for 1.2 million kilometers or miles or whatever. Um, and after 600,000 of those, everything is money in the bank. So yeah, bigger purchase price, but on the average price, you know, you know, you know what diesel price is going to be in the future, or electricity price. But surely the point of this vehicle is that they've that they made a big point at the launch of it to say it's it's going to be cheaper after five years of ownership, and you're going to run this for you know 1.2 million whatever. Then it, it 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 it's money in the bank, and that's they don't care what. It's nice to have the the Mercedes badge. It looks sweet. It's a nice vehicle, but they don't care. Ultimately, it, if it makes them more money, they'll buy this if the use case suits it. So mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of rules over here on how you know not only fast you can drive, but how far, how long you can drive for before you have to stop, and that's all recorded. And uh, and how long the drivers are allowed behind the wheel and not behind the wheel, etc. And so with that, we you know charging makes more sense for us. So uh, particularly megawatt charging, infrastructure is a problem. What I thought was interesting with this, uh, it was that they're shipping the truck without with everything apart from the the connector on the side, because the megawatt charging stand is not ratified. Right. So, so that's crazy. Like, come on, Charon, what are you doing? Just, I know, I, I, you know, it must be fabulously difficult what you're doing. But right. another company being like, we're just going to ship the vehicle. And when it gets ratified, bring them all back and we'll put the MCS stuff on the side. For now, it's got CCS on one or two sides, I think you said. Um, and uh, yeah, it, that, that seems crazy. Yeah, and it already goes in production at the end of 2024, too. So I guess they're not, they don't have confidence that the MCS will be figured out by then. Yeah, Tesla would do that. Absolutely not. Man. So, um, you know, hey, Daimler, very different company. So true, true. So, Kyle, were you surprised that they went with LFP batteries? No, it makes a lot of sense for this use case. Long lasting, full charge them, beat the crap out of the battery. Doesn't matter. That's mm, the way but, it should be. But they're heavier, though. It could impede on the, the load carrying ability, right? Yeah, certainly. That's a really interesting point. Max load uh, carrying is is interesting. However, I've learned in Europe, especially in like Nordic countries, you can carry way more weight than we can in the U S 
Mm, right. uh, which I would not expect. So, um, yeah, because I've always been curious, like, why those Scania trucks have, like, crazy, you know, V12s with 800 horsepower and 5 million pound-feet of torque. And I was talking to a truck driver up there, and he's like, oh, I'm running the equivalent of, like, 120,000 pounds. I'm like, dang, we can only go up to, like, 80 or 82 if it's electric. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Um, but no question, the Semi smokes this in every possible category. The Tesla right. Semi. Right, so right. like what is what is Mercedes doing other than like obviously they have a flat faced cab which can't be good for aero right even though they had that whenever they put pictures of something in like an aerodynamic wind tunnel that's clearly not aerodynamic you know it's just because they know someone's going to ask about it they're like look at the wind blowing around this thing but no I, there's no way that this is a good shape for a battery electric vehicle and is it illegal to drive a semi like a Tesla semi shape in Europe? I thought that that was approved. And part of the design process for the Tesla semi was to run it on the uh, the Euro roads. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, all of our trucks look like this. We don't have uh, uh, we don't have what I call, uh, you know, like the, the, the convoy. <laughs> you know, we haven't got the Chris Christopherson look truck uh, of uh, 10-4 rubber ducky. So, um, like, <laughs> I love your references. Is this how you really think about America? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're Chris all right. uh -huh, You're uh -huh. all just racing the cops across the country and fighting all the time. Uh, like, everything's a 1978 movie in my head for Americana. So, I didn't know you were um, on my road trip, Martin. <laughs> That's exactly what Dom was in in bar fights and chasing away from the police. This is what happens, right? So, um, so yeah. We don't have that that style of uh, of truck. This is this is a kind of a Euro style truck. So um, you're right; it smokes it in in every possible every possible way, uh, all, all the way down to where we can't put the connector on the side because and sounds like price too. Yeah, it's because two and a Tesla half times Semi the says it costs roughly the same as a diesel truck. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. isn't that what they said in the Jay Leno interview? I didn't hear that part. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know it's some... not two and a half times the price of a diesel truck. No, you know? it wasn't anything like that. It was like maybe yeah. just a bit more. But after two years, it was like a really quick, you know, break-even point. Right. And the breaking yeah. here, it was like I think it was break-even for the actros. The actros is I think they said four years in the thing. Well, it was the kilometers that seemed huge because there's going to be a lot of regional trucking that may want this thing, but it's not actually going because they're not putting as many miles on it in short haul application. Um, so, so anyway, I just, I just threw this up. This is what Volvo has been doing. This is the uh, Volvo Super Truck 2. It's not electric, though, but, you know, you can tell they did a lot of work on streamlining. So this is all like one flowing shape all the way down along the side. So it's, I just saw that. I, I was excited at first. I thought it was electric because they did all this aero work. But then the, I don't know what Volvo is doing either. You know, like, you know, Volvo trucks. It's different from the Volvo regular company. You need, you know, to have an electric, and they have the VNRs, right? They have some semis, but like, yeah, they have like them both like in Europe and the U.S. Um, you know, both Volvo electrics. They've gone pretty heavy into EV. I'd, something I'd really love to cover. So, uh, you know, co covering trucks, uh, count me in. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I love all the trucks. We didn't talk a lot about that Lano video. One of the most amazing things for me was when he drove the semi truck around and uh then they stopped and hooked up the trailer and mm -hmm. pulled away and he's like have i got it and they said yeah we designed the whole truck so that it fit because electric motors are so different to combustion we've designed it so that it feels the same so yeah we can just change the torque so that it and he's like are we hooked up like, absolutely so it, it feels when i watched that it gave me a whole new 
respect for the team that's working on the semi-truck, which is obviously in the shadows of 3Y, Plaid, uh, you know, Cybertruck, obviously. And I think they've been quietly getting on and making something absolutely incredible that we don't talk about very much. We don't know until we can play around with it. I really got to find a way to go do a charge test on that thing. You know, and what's interesting is Tesla with this whole MCS conversation, they're just using a previous version of megawatt charging standard, which is, you know, all charring as well. It's just like they're not ready. So they just put the old port on there and sent Mm. it. (laughs) Get it out. Yeah. And I did look it up. Tesla does say two year payback period. Wow. That's what they're predicting. That's insane. That's brilliant. So, and so the Tesla semi has what four? Is it three or four motors? It, it did have Model Three motors originally. Now it has. Now it has. So, uh, so it's got uh, two yeah, drive that? unit assemblies. Excuse me, but right. then I believe they both are plaid drive units, more or less. Okay. So there I might there be a... one single motor and then a plaid unit. Right. So that's it's three a... motor. That's that's what it is. I'm pretty sure, because I remember one disconnects sometimes. Right. So they, they have like their, their, uh, drive motor for cruising on the highway, which is like the efficiency tuned motor. And -hmm. because they're both permanent magnet, they have another one, which I believe the plaid carbon wrapped one is the really strong one. And that's the one that's geared really short to get you up a ramp or for big acceleration that decouples under light load. But when you're coming to a stop, they are working, um, both tandemly all the time. So that's a very interesting way of doing that, whereas Daimler or Mercedes-Benz has used two electric motors, maybe the same, and have a four-speed transmission to kind of get that same sort of effect, you know, rather than using uh, just staggering the motor out, you know, the motor uh, efficiency. Well, they might still have different gear ratios for each motor uh, in the Mercedes thing. And on top of that, also uh, transmission. I, I think in general, like European trucking is... I don't want to say more hardcore than the U.S., but my impression is loads are heavier. The abuse on trucks might be more, even though you're cruising at lower speed. Uh, but there's like more construction work, more like weird things they have to do. Um, and I just, for some reason, the diesel trucks in um, Europe make way more power than the U.S. trucks. So I imagine somewhere there's got to be a regulation or a use case that's more aggressive than what we do just sitting on the highway the whole time. Of course, trucks really struggle here in Colorado, um, you know, going up I-70. You'll see them sometimes going 10 miles an hour up the hill with flashers on. So they may have uh, more regulations in Europe that say you have to maintain a certain speed on a certain grade, which we don't necessarily have here. Right. Oh, um, okay. So let's move on. I wanted to mention uh, real quickly that the uh, new entry-level Genesis, the GV60, um, is now is now a rear-wheel drive version of that car, and it starts now at fifty-three one ninety-five. So we were talking this week, and this episode will come up on Monday. We did a special episode of Batteries Included to solve your autom- your electric car buying quandary or conundrum. And uh, we were talking about different cars and in this kind of this price range in, in one of those discussions. And we didn't talk about Genesis because it was, you know, above that, above that person's budget. But now it's below. It's 53. So but you can't like, buy them in every state. Only 18 you cannot. states, 20 states. Uh, 22, like I think, right now. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they just um, raised a couple more were added just like in the past week or so or something. Honestly, just get a used GV60 performance. Yeah. Yeah, I think they have just tanked in value. Really? Yeah. A bit of a range hit, but GV60 
Yeah, but uh, performance. Hold on, let's look. Lowest price GV sixties, sixty grand. Oh, I'm just looking within thirty miles. This is what we do on the car buying advice situation. Yeah. So you can get a GV sixty performance with forty eight thousand miles with six thousand miles on it for forty eight thousand dollars. Another one, uh, fifty thousand dollars for three thousand miles on a GV sixty advanced all wheel drive. The performance again, fifty thousand dollars. It's basically a new car. 944 miles on that one. Here's one, 20,000 miles, one owner, no accident, not a buyback, $51,000. That could be even my mom's old car. I don't know. Yeah. Right on. Um, don't forget the super fan question. What was the super fan question? Actually, we, we got a super it fan was, question. found a 2019 e-tron prestige for $34,000 with 46,000 miles. Should I get it? It's the only one around us actually um, seems a little bit expensive for the mileage. We've done some recent comparisons uh, on e-tron and actually a friend of mine, also another YouTuber called me last night talking about buying an e-tron. This is the car to buy. I don't think this is the example to go for. The country is your market. Plane tickets one way are cheap. Um, mm -hmm. You know, go there, do a pre-purchase inspection on the car. They're still relatively new where there's not much to worry about. Make sure, you know, if you want, buy it from an Audi dealer. That's fine. They're still cheap there. And uh, and and drive it back and make a road trip out of it. The whole country is your market. The, the is price isn't too high. The mileage is, though. We found a lot of them right around 30, 32, somewhere in that area with like, 15 20,000 miles. So, yes. you know, that that's that, that's what bothers me a little bit about that. I would the number wouldn't be bad if if everything was the same and it had, you know, 12,000 miles, 18,000 miles, th then I would say, you know, look at this one pretty hard, but there's a lot of them out there with a lot less miles. So, you might want to check around. You should be able to get into a, like with that uh, that uh, that price, thirty four thousand dollars. This should be still like a, a whiff of that new car smell when you open the doors. <laughs> <laughs> and that's important. You've got to get the right car that makes I you mean, feel great when it you makes get, you feel you know, good, right? Well, you yeah. also get fragrances in the e-tron, so you could just make it smell new. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh yeah, you, you didn't know that, Martin? No. Yeah, you can choose. They come preloaded with two fragrances. Alyssa hates it, but I just mess with her and I put it on full blast every time. And uh, yes. you can choose summer or winter is what the factory one. So now you know you can learn what summer smells like and you can learn what winter smells like. And it's uh, it smells like perfume. It's pretty crazy. That's uh, that, that's a reason to buy the thing on its own. Yep. Yeah. No, that's it's pretty amazing. cool actually. Hey Kyle, I understand that you wanted to talk GLE plug-in electric hybrid. We, we haven't discussed it on the show yet, I don't think. We haven't, and, we and, and you had one alone, and it, it it charges quickly, right? Well, yeah, and you were in it as well, so I'd like to hear some of your thoughts uh, you know, as well with it. But basically, it's uh, we had a, a brand-new plug-in hybrid from Mercedes, which typically we wouldn't spend too much time on it, but it actually is like a good EV uh, because you can keep it in electric mode pretty easily. Huge thanks to John for the super chat. Thank you so much. Really appreciate yes. that, John. Um, but essentially, you can put Whoa. the charger in the ground. Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm talking about GLE, and I'm reading his <laughs> comment at the same time. Talking about a mind. Put the GLE in the ground, man. Oh, oh, man. You can put your foot to the floor, and I'm like, you can put the charger in the ground. <laughs> Still early in the morning here. Um, you can, in the GLE, lock it in electric mode and drive it full EV all the time. It did almost 70 miles fully electric, which is more than like wow. an old i3 or more than my Leaf. And that was just driving around town at 70 miles an hour. It did almost 60 miles 
fully electric. So that's, that's pretty good. It's a, it's a big SUV. Yeah, it's a huge, yeah, super built full size. You know, I don't yeah. know what you. What it's not call quite this? full size, but mid size. But yeah, it's like it's a G. It's they have the GLS, which is way bigger. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So GLE, everyone knows it. Built in Alabama, American built car, and um, you know only has a twenty three point three kilowatt hour usable battery, but charges from zero to one hundred percent in thirty minutes. So what's the on a DC charger? What's the, what's the buffer? Don't what's know. Got to be huge. It's got to be a big buffer. Got to be big. You yeah. but they wow. let you set a charge limit in it so you can charge it to you know 50 to 100 percent on a charger. It's like a full EV and then a full yeah. gas car. It's it's cool. And it's it's got the electric motor ahead of the transmission in the drive line, right? Yeah, the, all the Germans do it this way, and it's a little bit frustrating from a smoothness standpoint, right? Because you can feel it shift and you get almost one pedal driving with it. It does a lot of regen, but off throttle. But like as it downshifts, you get like a little lurch. <laughs> you know, the car gives up the regen for a second as it downshifts. And it's just not so smooth. The benefit is highway range is awesome. Again, 57, 58 miles. Uh, the videos on out of spec, something like that. Um, and it just what kept going. But I was more impressed with the charging performance. 62 kilowatt peak and holds full power all the way to 80%. At 81%, it starts walking down. And at 99%, still doing 33 kilowatts. So there's oh, got to be a big buffer up there. But it's so just I, awesome. I think I feel fine about plug-in hybrids having a CCS plug when they charge that quickly. So yeah, I think, I, that, I think that that's far. okay. Like, yeah, that's I mean, I, I went into it because I have the Polestar 1, which is one of the few plug-in hybrids with CCS charging. And right. I, of course, never use CCS chargers with it. I've only done it one time out of convenience other than when we did the Cannonball with it. Um, and... Uh, it's it's just like kind of not necessary in our car because it doesn't even charge that great. We get 57 kilowatt peak, but it has a terrible curve and it's stepped down. The Mercedes is like actually useful where if you're on a road trip where many gas stations now have charging stations next to the fueling stations, you can go full up the tank fuel. You have to stand there, babysit the car. Just pull it around to the charging station, plug it in, go get snacks, get lunch, do whatever. And now you've got a full charge and a full tank. Now, I still think there's some etiquette here if you're driving one of these cars don't go to a fast charger if there's a line if there's a lot of people <laughs> leave it for the battery electric cars i think that's the fair etiquette but it's not like illegal like you can still plug it in and as long as you're getting energy then do what you want with it i guess in theory i mean for, for the amount of range you have i don't i don't really have a problem with this thing at the fast dc fast charging space place you know for, for the amount of time it takes to charge i think it's a pretty good yeah, yeah it was especially if you're minutes. pulling 50 kilowatts you know like right you yeah, know 60 60 60 you know if you're pulling 60 kilowatts i i mean i, I don't have a problem with people charging uh, on this you know i, I really don't uh, you know i uh, they're not going to be charging that long it's it's not like they're going to be there for an hour how long would you even need at that charge rate with this kyle how long would it take you to let's say you pulled in at 10 percent yeah, but what I think you're take... actually going to see people pulling at 0% often yeah. in these because you'll have that gas engine exactly. to get you there. You're, so you're, you're pulling right. at, at zero and you charge to, to 80, 85% takes 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and you're out. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't have an issue with that at all, personally. You know. uh, it's 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 when you don't need to charge the, the plug-in well, it never hybrid. never needs to. 
that's the problem. And a plug-in hybrid owner thinking like, oh, my car can charge, so I'll plug in because I've got a right to be here. And they have. And I should say they absolutely have got a right to charge. If you've got a CCS plug on the side of it, a socket, you can absolutely do whatever you want. Uh, you can choose to help your fellow EV drivers who haven't got a petrol engine in the thing, who need to get somewhere. But you can be whatever person you want to be. Um, that, that's my fear with this is someone thinks, oh, I'll plug it in because it's my company car on my business card or my business pays my mileage or they clear my credit card and what my you know my charging and I'm going to go and do some shopping I'll plug it in I'll come back and be 100% or something so that's the downside I think if you're responsible I, I say responsible that comes with a bunch of loaded kind of we're talking about mercedes owners here moral okay. these are the like... worst of the worst <laughs> <laughs> moral <laughs> obligations yeah. and it's like you know you can be whatever person you want but i'd prefer you didn't plug the thing in if there's a queue but they'll do what they do so that's the downside but it charges quickly and it looks like yeah. did it feel luxurious did it feel like a nice premium vehicle yeah, yeah of course it's tuned really nice everything you know it's suspension wise was great the real downside had to do with the combustion engine so many new plug-in hybrid uh electric suvs are uh like bmw x5 cayenne land rovers plug-in hybrids with ccs fast charging now they're all using the inline six engines or in the porsche's case the v6 this uses the four-cylinder engine that sounds like a tractor and it's really kind of lame um so not not into it when the combustion engine kicks on but um i love the way it drove i've been a fan of gle i like this platform uh, I, I think it's great. And um, talking to some of the Mercedes dealers who were commenting on the video, sounds like they're having so much interest in this car. They're really excited to sell this thing. There was a lot of stuff going on with that powertrain. So I can see where engineers would, would be geeking out. But, uh, we should hit a, we got to go pretty in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to hit a couple, got to get going. Yeah. Um, a couple of things really quick. Uh, you can now get a th three model three model Y in, with with a wrap from the factory for a, a good bit of money but uh kyle you did a good podcast on this with with francie and and uh another uh, brandon tesla flex yep right tesla tesla flex brandon mm -hmm. right and it's great to go into detail why it's that price and uh yeah it's definitely check that out yeah, um, it's no. Uh, oh, by the way, someone uh, I just have to point in disappointed there was no bounce and charge testing. The GLE I had doesn't bounce, and actually, GLEs don't bounce anymore. Only GLS Maybach gets it. I think it was just a really expensive suspension system. Uh, back to the Tesla wrapping point, though, Dom, you're yeah. totally right. Um, it's actually not a bad value when you factor in it's not just a color change wrap, it's a right. color change PPF, right. and they wrap the door sills. I mean, it's right. a really high quality material and they're doing the edges and the door sills. Now we have to wait till we see one that they do. And if there's enough attention to detail and all of those things, but if you were to bring it to any wrap shop in the equivalent area, they would charge you the same, if not more for this service. So I, I think it's not cheap, but it's not unreasonable compared to when I first saw the number, I'm like eight grand for a wrap. Like, what are right. you doing? Uh, but it's a totally different material and extra places that they get into the door jams with. Right. It's still kind of interesting to me that they, they're not painting cars in these colors. They, they think it's more efficient, I guess, or cheaper. Well, it's, make more it's, a lot cheaper it's a lot cheaper to make a small profit margin on wrapping someone's car than a new paint shop. Because look at the new paint shop in uh, in Berlin. That Berlin. was the... That was a right. Japanese paint shop they bought in. I think that was a Japanese company that supplied the paint shop. That It was like the best of the best that the automotive sector go and get. And right. what are they going? Two new colors out of that. So... 
right. and that, you know, and Tesla always like we're premium, we're premium vehicle. Well, you know, you're up against a lot of premium. Uh, you're now at the point where you're attracting buyers who perhaps aren't the early adopters, who perhaps are used to going to a car company that go, oh, would you like 400 colors, sir? So, or, or some companies go, what color would you like? You bring yeah. it to us. So, yeah. you know. I think uh, all dealerships are going to offer wraps. All auto manufacturers yeah. are going to offer wraps as add-ons. 100%. They all should be already. And dealers are talking a lot about electric cars and how they're going to they're going to lose uh, money for servicing them. And, you know, mm -hmm. they need a new business model. Here's part of your business model. Sell wraps. Why let a third party shop take right. four or $5,000, $8,000 to wrap it and PPF it? The, all, everyone should be on board with this. You should be able to get your vehicle wrapped and PPF at every single dealership that you, that of every make right, right now, the dealers are throwing money out. They're leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. Anthony uh, Ronaldi makes a good point. Paint shops are expensive and sometimes they're not that great. I mean, it's together. I mean, painting a car takes a certain level of, of craftsmanship, I think, to do a good job, to avoid all like the orange peel, all the little pitfalls that come with, you know, painting a car after. Right. So, well, any paint shop will have orange peel. Uh, so any, any factory paint does even Rolls Royce or anything crazy. They just paint extra thick and then do a polish afterwards to knock down the orange peel. But that's right. Colton's the expert on this topic, but there's really no sure. way to get rid of orange peel on any yeah. normal car, unless you right. really want to significantly reduce the thickness of your, your surface. Yeah. Let right. me grab one of these comments that real EV has been posting this a couple of times. Um, please take them up on, on their offer. If you remember few years ago, back in 2019, I went down, I interviewed Giovanni Palazzi, Palazzo from Electrify America. We talked about network problems. And he said, um, we're going to invite you back down here in six months to talk about what we've done and how we've improved it. And I put that in my article and, and Real EV's calling me out on it here. Now, if you remember, that interview was, I think, in January of 2020 or December of 2019. We had it all scheduled for that summer. We were talking about dates and weeks that I could go down. COVID hit. Right. And and uh, that pushed it off. No one was allowed to even visit their facility for like two years. They didn't start in inviting people back to Electrify America till like 2021, the end of 2021 or something like that. So I reached out to them multiple times. And then there's a there, there's a, the change. Giovanni is no longer uh, the CEO of, of uh, Electrify America. Rob is now, which we have a good relationship. I've reached out to them multiple times and they've kept saying, oh yeah, we're going to get this scheduled. We're going to have you back down here, but it never materialized. And I, and I just stopped bothering them about it because I'm not going to waste my time. They know where I am. They know what I'd like to discuss. And if they're not going to reach out and say, look, we'd like you to talk about this on your channel, then no, I'm not going to continue to ask them uh, because it just seems like they don't want to talk to me about it. So that that's your answer. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, we are, you know, we do, we don't, we're not sure about, you know, criticizing them. I'm not sure if, if they take that, hopefully they don't take that personally, but I don't know. We'll see. Oh, before we, I want to show off this, I stopped, I stopped in uh, Euphoria, Alabama to, to eat at this place. I don't know if you can see this. What, what are we getting ourselves <laughs> into here? <laughs> I, thought, I thought, where's it's this a, going? Uh, yeah. It, no, it's just a, a neat building. It's like a, what it was, it was described to me as like the font across the top. Streamliner Modern. It used to be a car dealership, and they've kept cool. they kept the, the name of the place. Uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, What's it called? Mitchell. Central Service 
grill, Mitchell's Central Service grill. And it had the best uh, menu for like 20, 30 miles in the area. So I was like, well, I'm going to try some uh, crawfish tails. That looks good. And it, they, they were. Yeah. yeah. It was just a neat little place. And they, uh, out in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, basically. And I like it's they're 30 miles from a Walmart. Which I don't know how you get thirty miles from a Walmart in America, but they've managed to do it. And uh, <laughs> nice. So we should do an EV road trip to Mitchell's. We yeah. should do our first live podcast from Mitchell's Central Ooh, Service Grill. Let's not. <laughs> it's a great. <laughs> a really great I mean, if nothing else, the food will be great. Yeah, absolutely. And the people actually were very Looks lovely great. there. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess that brings us to the end of our show. If you have any questions or comments, uh, please leave us a comment below or get in touch with us on Twitter where we are Batteries Inc. Pod or on Threads where we are Batteries Included Podcast. You can follow Martin on Twitter or Threads at EV News Daily. On Twitter, Tom is at Tomalog. That's with two M's and Tom Malogny on Threads. I'm Dominic Yoni on Threads and in real life. Kyle uh, is, it's Kyle Connor on Twitter and goes by Virtual Kyle on Threads when he's there. Um, and when he's not there, <laughs> don't forget, if you like the show, please give us a thumbs up, click subscribe, tap that bell icon for notifications. Thank you all again for joining us. It's been great. And we'll see you again next time. Ciao.